Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hermeneutics Podcast. I'm your host, Nahum O'Brien, and this is the program dedicated to the art and science of biblical interpretation. I'd like to pick up where we left off on the last episode addressing challenges to our understanding of the Bible. I began by noting the obvious, that God's Word, the Scriptures, are written communication. As a result of this fact, there exists the possibility of noise interfering with our ability to properly understand. Theologians often refer to this noise as challenges, distance, or gaps, which block the spontaneous understanding of the original meaning of the scriptures. As Fur and Kostenberger note, quote, In fact, when interpreting the Bible, we encounter significant challenges, or gaps in understanding. These gaps create distance we can bridge only through hard work and study, but they can be bridged, end quote. This is precisely why we need hermeneutics. As Klein, Blomberg, and Hubbard explain, quote, hermeneutics provides the means for acquiring an understanding of the scriptures, end quote. Additionally, I noted that while lists of these gaps or challenges vary, generally they can be grouped into three categories, historical challenges, literary challenges, and theological challenges. The distance or gaps in understanding that exist within these three categories will exist in the whole of Scripture, irregardless of genre. Therefore, when we approach Scripture, bridging the historical, literary, and theological gaps will be the foundation of our hermeneutical approach. The bulk of episode 3 addressed the historical challenges to understanding the Bible, namely, the time gap, the geographical gap, and the cultural gap. I concluded the episode by showing an Old Testament example of bridging a gap in understanding, which we found in Ruth 4.7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel, end quote. Amazingly, the author of Ruth recognizes a possible historical challenge to his audience's understanding, namely the purpose of removing the sandal, and attempts to bridge the distance by explaining the custom before recounting the act. The author recognized that a gap existed and helped fill that gap for his audience. In the same way, we need to recognize the historical challenges to understanding the Bible, the time gap, the geographical gap, and the cultural gap, and attempt to fill those gaps or bridge that distance by studying the history, geography, and cultures of the Bible. Now let's consider the second major category of gaps, the literary challenges to understanding the Bible, in which you will find the language gap and the literary gap. First, the language gap. Klein, Blomberg, and Hubbard explain the language gap. Quote, The writers of the Bible wrote in the languages of their day, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Languages that are inaccessible to most people today. End quote. The human authors of scripture wrote in ancient languages, foreign to most 21st century readers. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, with small portions written in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, a common language in the first century. To reiterate the obvious, most 21st century readers are incapable of reading Hebrew, Aramaic, and or Greek. 
Thus, as Fern Kostenberger explained, quote, Almost all believers today depend upon translations for their Bible reading, end quote. Now, Fern Kostenberger do not say this critically. It is simply a matter of fact. To be sure, most theologians recognize and agree that quality Bible study can be performed through the use of translations. Even those who are proficient in biblical languages often prefer a particular translation in their mother tongue. Fur and Kossenberger explain, quote, It is only natural to be most comfortable reading in your native language, end quote. However, it is important to note when using translations that the interpreters of each translation have made interpretive choices in the act of translating. This is because translation inherently requires interpretation. A language gap exists when translating any text from one language to another, because, as any linguist will rightly tell you, no two languages align perfectly in every aspect. Fur and Kossenberger explain, quote, Language is a very complex phenomenon that cannot be defined by alphabet, vocabulary, grammar, and syntax alone. It's intricately tied to culture and the people who speak a given idiom. Linguistic conventions are dynamic, ever developing along with those who use them, or conversely, dying when people cease to do so. Words can be translated from one language into another, but often only imperfectly, for no two languages can fully convey all aspects of meaning tied to its particulars. This reality poses the challenge of studying a book written in languages that most of us don't understand, end quote. For this reason, we must know that while every translation attempts to bridge the language gap, none can do so perfectly. Thus, it is important to engage the original languages, lest we miss nuanced meanings that may be lost in translation. A few examples may help demonstrate the existence of the language gap. Take, for instance, the common English idiom, I have a frog in my throat. The idiom may refer to a feeling of hoarseness, of something trapped in one's throat, or even the inability to speak due to fear. Imagine for a moment a French interpreter attempting to translate this common English idiom into French for his French audience. First, hopefully he recognizes that the phrase is indeed an idiom. Imagine the confusion of the unsuspecting French readers that they would experience if they thought that a literal frog somehow leapt into the speaker's throat out of nowhere. Second, recognizing that the phrase is indeed an idiom, the French interpreter must choose one of the possible meanings the idiom may convey. The interpreter must make this choice based on the contextual clues in the text. What if the interpreter chooses wrongly? It could possibly alter the original meaning because, after all, a feeling of hoarseness is not the same as being unable to speak out of fear. But let's say the French interpreter does, in fact, recognize the English idiom as an idiom, and he also understands the original author's intended meaning in context. The interpreter still has a dilemma. The French language has its own similar but unique idiom to describe that which the English idiom describes. The French idiom is, I have a cat in my throat. The interpreter now has a decision to make. Does he translate the English idiom word for word, maintaining the word frog, but risking the possible chance of his readers misunderstanding the original author's meaning? 
Or should the interpreter interpret frog with cat in the French translation, ensuring that while the exact text was not preserved, the meaning is? What about a similar situation in the text of Scripture? Would you replace the actual inspired words of God to retain his intended meaning? A biblical example can be seen in Deuteronomy 6.3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. End quote. Did you notice the idiom? Moses is exhorting Israel to listen to God and keep his commandments that they may prosper in a land described as flowing with milk and honey. The Hebrew expresses a flowing freely, a gushing overflow of milk and rich honey. Does Moses intend to give the impression to the Israelites that this land has deep reservoirs or milk and honey that are freely flowing across the land as literal streams of honey and rivers of milk? Not at all. Moses is using a common Hebraic idiom to describe the abundant fertility of the land. The interpreters kept the original terminology while typically explaining the idiom in a footnote. Additional examples of the language gap can be seen by comparing different translations of the same language. Take, for instance, 1 Corinthians 7.1. The King James Version reads, quote, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, end quote. The ESV writes, quote, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, end quote. Now many things could be said here. First, we must note the most obvious fact that language changes over time. Thus, one must not expect translations centuries apart to read the same, even if in the same language. Thus, the difference between the ESV and the KJV could simply be a result of the change in language over time. Yet another modern translation, the New American Standard Bible, reflects the language of the KJV. It is good for a man not to touch a woman, rather than its more contemporary counterpart, the ESV. Thus, Two relatively modern translations differ in how they translate 1 Corinthians 7.1. Klein, Blomberg, and Hubbard explain, quote, The verb translated touch is a euphemism for sexual intercourse, cross-reference that with the term sleep with today, end quote. How then is the modern English reader able to discern what Paul really meant? Taking as a standalone text, it would indeed be difficult to differentiate between the two, touching versus sexual relations, as they are indeed very different. However, the context supports the idea that Paul is referring to sexual relations, rather than mere touching. Thus, by using the rules of interpretation established by our hermeneutic, context reveals Paul's intended meaning. The reason for the difference in translation, then, is that the KJV and the NASB chose to maintain the literal word-for-word -word equivalent to touch, whereas the ESV chose to maintain the thought-for-thought -thought equivalent sexual relations. These are just a few elementary examples of the language gap. There are many more. Klein, Blomberg, and Hubbard note a few others. Quote, Hebrew has different forms of masculine and feminine nouns, pronouns, and verbs. So, for instance, the English you, 
hides whether the Hebrew word it translates is singular or plural, and masculine or feminine. The plural they is expressed in one gender or another. Quote. Additionally, the importance of the aforementioned examples to faith and practice were not exceedingly great. The existence of the language gap becomes more weighty, and our ability to bridge the gap more crucial when dealing with texts that deal with important doctrines of the faith. The second gap under the literary challenges to understanding the Bible is the literary gap. Fur and Kossenberger explain, quote, There are many genres and subgenres utilized by the biblical authors. To properly handle the text, we have to learn to navigate the diverse literary genres represented in Scripture. End quote. The Bible is a unique book. It was written by at least 40 different authors spanning roughly 1,500 years. Conservative evangelical theologians recognize 66 books which make up the Old and New Testaments. Each book was written for its own unique purpose, reflecting the literary traditions of various ancient cultures. Burr and Kostenberger add, quote, What places the Bible in a class of its own, however, is the variety of literary techniques found in Scripture. Because the Bible was written by so many authors over such a long period of time, reflecting such variety in purpose and origin, the outcome is a text representing a dozen or so primary genres and many more subgenres. Biblical genres include narrative, law, poetry, prophecy, wisdom, and gospel, just to name a few. Fur and Kostenberger continue, quote, the literary gap recognizes that most readers will not inherently know the rules of engagement appropriate to the respective literary genre at hand. Yet knowing these rules is absolutely essential in gaining a more informed and accurate interpretation of a given portion of scripture, end quote. Simply stated, the way we read or interpret poetry will be different than the way we approach the Gospels. While there are principles of biblical interpretation which govern how we approach all of Scripture, such as context, there may be additional principles of interpretation unique to each individual genre that we must consider when dealing with the text reflecting that genre. Let's use a typical newspaper as an illustration. In many newspapers, you will find sections on national and international news, local news, sports, entertainment, classified advertisements, possibly a section containing obituaries, and on Sundays, my favorite section, the comics. When we read the newspaper, whether we realize it or not, we use slightly different principles of interpretation when moving from section to section that are unique to understanding that section. For instance, I wouldn't read an opinion article in the same way that I would read the latest stock market numbers, nor would I approach the comics in the same way I approach the obituaries. The type of literature I read affects how I approach, read, and interpret the text. In the same way, the type of literature we are reading in the scriptures will affect our hermeneutic, and ultimately, how we interpret the text. Just one more thing before I go. Because a specific book of the Bible, let's say the book of Genesis, is understood to be historical narrative, does not mean there won't be small sections of poetry and or prophecy contained therein. So as you're reading your Bible this week, see if you can identify various genres as they appear in the text. Additionally, 
Be on the lookout for examples of the language gap, the time gap, the geographical gap, and the cultural gap that challenge your understanding of the text. Identifying and closing these gaps are the first step towards a sound biblical hermeneutic that will enable us to accurately understand the scriptures.